Isaiah 53 is about a person who was pierced for our sins, who was crushed in our place, and who was raised from the dead to give new life. No offense to our Jewish friends, but that sounds a lot like Jesus of Nazareth. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome. Reminder to like, subscribe, comment. It helps us out. It helps the gospel out more importantly, isn't that right? It's all about the gospel. Oh, get that gospel out, that sweet, Mm. sweet proclamation of the work of God. Speaking of gospel, Hmm. the gospel is going to make an appearance in this section. According to Christians. Well, it's literally going to make an appearance because the literal (laughs) word will be present several (laughs) times. Um, But yes, also in in very much detail as well. So buckle your seatbelts for the gospel because it's it's good. And it is it is unexpected. It's unexpected. If 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 this is, I wonder if anyone who's watching, if this is actually their first time reading through Isaiah and hearing these passages. I know we have some newer believers who are reading with us. Yeah. If that's you and you never you've never heard Isaiah fifty three, this is going to just completely blow your mind. Oh yeah. Um. And and I I hope that you've you've enjoyed this. Um. This is an incredible section we're going to dive into today. Oh, give us a comment. If this is your first time hearing these passages taught on, uh, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, that's great. And such an encouraging section of verses to come out of after all the judgment. We're still going to have some judgment. Don't worry. You know, Don't worry. It's always there. Yeah, it's always there in the, in the prophetic books. It's all about the wrath of God, and but it's all about God's grace, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be an encouraging day, hopefully. So let's, uh, again, go over some themes that we're seeing here in the prophetic books in Isaiah. Yeah, so we mentioned there's a lot of themes in this book that are so important. Today we're going to see a heavy emphasis on God and his sovereignty and his uniqueness, mm-hmm. right? This monotheistic theme that we talked about. Yeah. Um, that it's heavily focused on, especially in the in the 40s, right? The, 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 that uh, Those 10 chapters, there's so much focus on God's uh, uniqueness and mm-hmm. his holiness. The Holy One of Israel, that theme is going to come out a lot in this section. And a big focus on the Son mm-hmm. um, through this figure, the servant of the Lord, which we'll look at. And kind of parse, okay, who is that exactly? Right. Definitely, we're going to see Jesus as being the servant of the Lord, but there's also, sometimes it'll refer to the nation of Israel. It's a little confusing, so which one is it? So we'll look at that too. But um, so many good passages, so many you know incredible passages in this section, of course, culminating in chapter 53, which is yep. probably the most famous. Um, some talk of the Holy Spirit that'll be helpful for us, and big themes of salvation. Yep. Big, big themes. So in the structure of the book, we've looked at the first the first major section, which was 1 to 39, which is sort of the Old Covenant, mm-hmm. focused a lot more on judgment. And now we're kind of in this New Covenant section, for lack of a better term, this focus on salvation. So chapters 40 to 66 is a, I mean, a sharp turn. You'll notice just this radical change in terms of the language at mm-hmm. the beginning of chapter 40. Right. We're entering into a new section that is... Unbelievable. I mean, these are some of the most breathtaking, incredible passages in Scripture in this section. Oh, yeah. So I hope, I mean, as you're reading through the the 40s and 50s and 60s, I hope that you really are just soaking this in. Great devotional reading. 100%. So we're going to raise our thoughts of God. We're going to see in the first section, so 40 to 55 is focused on the servant of the Lord, and then chapters 56 to 66 are focused on future hope. Very good. Cool. So we'll get to 53 today. So let's let's jump in. Let's just jump in. So 
we see this this emphasis as we start this new chapter that God wants to comfort. Mm. God wants to to comfort his people. So it starts off, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, Mm -hmm. that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Right. Wow. So an incredible, incredible uh, language as we get back into away from the narratives and more into the prophetic literature. Right. But God wants to comfort. He wants to bring salvation both externally and internally, right? Mm-hmm. Deliverance from enemies and also forgiveness of sins. Well, I mean, even like here's here's uh, chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's like, right. That's a caring God, right? Yeah, absolutely. So God, God cares for his people and he's bringing salvation. And how is he going to bring it? Well, verse 3 talks about a voice that cries, prepare the way of the Lord, hmm. right? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So that's familiar for us as Christians as well, but someone who's coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, yeah. for the ultimate purpose of verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, hmm. for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God's glory is going to be revealed as, we saw, as we've been seeing throughout the book of Isaiah, that's going to happen through this one who will come after this messenger comes to prepare the way for him. Right. So there's, I mean, incredible uh, themes. So so I, there's so much to talk about in these sections that I, I wanted to, instead of going through it verse by verse, I feel like we would just be kind of all over the place. I wanted to just deal with a few big themes in these sections, mm-hmm. and then we'll look at the servant of the Lord idea. So we, really we see a, a lot of things about God's character displayed in some of the, like I said, some of the most lofty language in Scripture. So some big themes. Uh, first, we see that God is great. Hmm. We see God's greatness, His power, uh, some of the most amazing ways that this is spoken of in all of Scripture. I mean, look at look at chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand hmm. and marked off the heavens with a span? Verse 13, who, is, who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man, man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, hmm. are counted as the dust on the scales. Right? He's talking about the nations are nothing. Verse 17, the nations are nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. That all the nations are just dust on the scales, the divine scales. They're, they barely even affect how God how God sees anything, right? I mean, they're, they're right. just nothing compared to God. They they they're so insignificant, and yet God is lofty. It reminds me a lot of the Book of Job, right? This language, yeah, right? And who, Job. No. who can who can give counsel to God? Right? Who can teach God anything? Who can give anything to God? God is God is great. God is the one that we should fear and the one we should trust in, right? Verse chapter forty one, verse ten, one of my all time favorite verses. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is the one who protects because he's, he's great. He's in control of everything. So we shouldn't fear anyone except for him. Right. God's greatness is on full display in these passages. Or chapter 43, verse 1, similar theme. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, 
they shall not overwhelm you. Mm -hmm. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Right. God, God is, he protects, he is great, he is powerful. Mm -hmm. There's no one like God. And so this is a theme throughout. We see it again and again and again, these, these incredible words about who God is. Chapter yeah. 44, verse 24, God is the one who formed you in the womb. Mm -hmm. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heaven, who spread out the earth by myself. God, God is the creator. He's in charge of, of everything. Mm. He's even in charge of, as we mentioned before in this book, he's in charge of evil. Right. And destruction, chapter 45, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. Right. I make well-being and create calamity. Mm. I am the Lord who does all these things. Right. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, in 44, 6, like thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. You know, yeah. monotheism theme, but this is, you know, the head honcho above everything else. I am greater than... There's nothing that you, the humans can even imagine that's greater than me. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. So a lot of statements about God's power, His strength. We also see that God is not, God's not just great; He's also glorious. Mm. He is the one who receives glory from humanity. Look at chapter forty-four, verse six. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. Yeah. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Right. Just like we heard about earlier. Yeah. And in verse 8, he says, Fear not, be, do not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Right. And, and you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Hmm. So he is, he's set apart completely, and he does everything for his own glory. Hmm. We see this in chapter 48, verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. Right. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Right. So we'll see this, this, this phrasing, right? My glory I won't give to another again and again right. in the prophets. God is so concerned for his own glory. Right. God is glorious. He is set apart in this way. He deserves glory. Mm -hmm. And as this has been a theme through the whole book, right? when the, the world is filled with his glory, everything will be set to right. Mm. So we, it's not that we're, we shouldn't be against God's glory. We are as right. sinners, but we shouldn't be because that actually leads to our joy and mm. fulfillment as well. So God is great. He is glorious. There's a lot of I am statements in Isaiah in this section as well. Yeah. Um, which will be reflected in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Yeah, I am um, He who blots out your sins and transgressions. I am the Lord, your Holy One. You know. Yeah, no. the I am's are very, very important, um, just as they are in the Gospel of John. We see God is great. God is glorious. Also, God is gracious. He's mm. gracious. So, as I mentioned, the Gospel was going to make. It, we like the Gospel, right? We like that. Gospel's God, great. Yeah, I know. It's like. That, that word is used all the time. Yeah, because it's awesome. That's why. Well, even just to start, like again and again, and when it says "thus the Lord," thus says the Lord, but it says "your Redeemer," and it keeps repeating that. Just the, that phrase, "Redeemer." Right? Yep. So it's like that's that's a gracious thing, right? That God redeems. That He's not just wrathful. He's ever a God of redemption, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's chapter forty, verse nine. Forty nine. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Mm. Good news. That's that's that word gospel, right? In in 
it become in Greek, gospel, euangelion in, in English gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. And that's when we see that, that verse you mentioned earlier, that God's going to tend us like a flock. Hmm. So God has a plan of redemption. There's good news coming. Yeah. There's a proclamation of some good news, and that is that God is gracious. He's a Savior. Right. Chapter 43, verse 1. I already mentioned, sorry. I don't want to go like that again, but that God redeems us through the waters. It's a mm-hmm. picture of Exodus, right? right. Um, verse 11 of chapter 43, I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Hmm. He's the only one who can save. Uh, and in verse 25, I, I am he who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will rem- not remember your sins. All right, that's going. So the theme of his power, his glory, his grace coming together in that, right? I'm going to forgive you, and I'm doing it for my own sake. Right. <laughs> of course, because I love you. That's that's shown everywhere. Yeah, it's not the selfishness but he's saying, of God or I'm doing this because it brings glory to me. It shows the the universe who I am. Right. Yeah. It shows it shows how great I am, how glorious I am. And then, as you mentioned, that just this theme again and again. There's no one like God. Mm-hmm. Nothing compares to Him. Right. He is set apart completely. And we see that in these attacks on idolatry in this mm-hmm. section. There's quite a few of them. I'm sure you noticed as you were reading, right? That there's he'll take a moment away from praising God to attack idols because idols are those who seek to steal glory from God, who claim mm-hmm. greatness that is greater than God, and yet they're not. So he mocks them. He just he, he doesn't hold back much, right? He just mocks these false idols, right? In chapter 40, verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, right? And he goes on to, to mock the idols, uh, no, idolatry is foolishness. Nothing can compare it to this mm-hmm. kind of powerful God. Right. Chapter 44 has my favorite um, description of idols, probably in the whole scripture, but it, it goes in depth where it's, you know, this guy's going out to the woods, getting his, getting his axe, chopping down a tree, and then you know, he takes, takes part of it and he fashions it and makes it into a god. Right. And he sets that god up on his mantelpiece, and then he takes the other half and he chops that up and he... He burns it, you know, makes a fire out of it, and he's cooking his food over it. And he's just painting this picture of how ridiculous this is, right? <laughs> that, okay, wait, so this is God, and then right next to it, I mean, that's like that's like his his auntie or something, or, you know, it's like <laughs> that's like a relative to, to God, right? I mean, because right. that's, and this, we're just going to chop up and burn in the fire, and the whole idea is, no, this is, it's worthless, right? Yeah. It's all it's good for is to cook your food over, and right. you're sitting there bowing down to it, acting like this is your God. Right. It's, it's such a degradation of what humans were meant to do. Right. They're not meant to make images out of things in this earth. They're meant to be, to look to the one whose image they were made in. Right. The true God. And so he's raising our, our eyes to see God as he truly is and mocking and tearing down these idols of this world. Mm. We see um, a couple other quick things we see in, in terms of themes. Uh, a big one that's very important you don't want to miss is this mention of Cyrus. Mm-hmm. So Cyrus, this, this emperor who will come and who will be the one to bring God's people, who will you know, give this decree, as we've already seen in the history books, to tell God's people that they're free to go back to their land. The, when Isaiah was writing this, though, Cyrus was not on the scene. Right. His nation wasn't a major player on the scene. This was way before that. Yeah, it was like and, 50 years or something. And no. God actually is speaking to, directly to this man, Cyrus. Right, We see this starting in chapter 40, 44, verse 24, talking about how he formed him in the womb. He, he does all these things, and then he mentions at the end, 
verse 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall fulfill all my purpose. So he's mentioning someone that the people don't know when he's writing this. Yeah. Okay, who's Cyrus? And then in, in chapter 45, verse 1, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. And he's saying he's going to accomplish this purpose I've given to him. Mm-hmm. So way before this emperor ever comes onto the scene, God's already naming him and saying, yeah, you're mine. You will accomplish my purposes exactly how I want you to. Right. And that comes to pass, right? This right. incredible decree from Cyrus that brings people out of out of exile. So, I mean, incredible proof of the, the scripture's truthfulness. Mm-hmm. So we see Cyrus. We also see mention of the spirit of the Lord, as we've seen a little bit, but... The Spirit of the Lord, when in chapter 44, verse 3, that God's going to pour out my spirit, he says, upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So the Spirit is going to come in these latter days as a blessing from God to his people. Right. So that those are some of the themes, but the, really the biggest theme in this section is the servant of the Lord. Yeah. That the servant of the Lord, who is this guy? Who yeah. is this servant? Is it even a guy? Mm-hmm. Could it be a whole nation? Could it be all of Israel? Um, part of the problem with understanding this, what we're dealing with here, is that there's two different ways that the text refers to the, the servant of the Lord. And this actually shouldn't be weird to us at all because there are actually many people in the Bible who are referred to as God's servant. Right. So Moses, Joshua, David are all referred to as God's servant. Mm-hmm. So, And I think Isaiah is as well. So many people are referred to that way. God has many servants, but in this section, who is who is the servant? Well, we see there's certain texts that clearly display Israel as the servant. It's explicit. Israel is the servant. And when Israel is referred to as the servant, he's referred to the nation's referred to as weak, as needy, as sinful. Mm-hmm. They are depending. He's going to help them. Right. He's going to aid them. He's going to forgive them. But there's a second way that the Bible talks about in this section talks about the servant of the Lord, and it's right. a very different way. It's not as weak, it's as strong. Right. It's not as sinful, it's as flawless, as perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's not as part of the nation of Israel, but as a person who saves the nation of Israel. Right. So he has to stand outside the nation. So uh, so that it's a, different, it's a different individual. So it goes from the corporate to the individual, and it's a very different idea. So uh, let's look at a few of the places where we see this. So Israel is the servant of the Lord. We see this in chapter 41. Verse 8, it says, But you, Israel, my servant, there you go, Jacob, whom I have chosen, right? So Israel is his servant. So Israel, but it says that he's actually going to to rescue them, right? This is where it says, fear not. Yeah. So, so you're weak. Don't be afraid. I will rescue you. Yeah. But yeah, you're my servant. We see it again in chapter 42, verse 18. It says, Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant right. or deaf as my messenger whom I sent, who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord. So mm-hmm. he's speaking to his servant of, of his servant and he's saying they're blind. Well, that lines up with everything God said about Israel. They're blind. Yeah. That's not a positive thing. That's a negative thing. They need to be saved. Exactly. So there's, there's that version of the, the, the servant. We see it again in chapter 44, Verse 1, O Jacob, my servant, fear not. Verse 2, O Jacob, my servant. So he's telling him not to fear. So that means he has something to be afraid of, right? So he's saying, don't be afraid because you're weak and you're helpless. I'm going to rescue you. 
We see it again in 40, 44 verse 21 and 45 verse 4. Mm-hmm. So there's many mentions of of Israel, but they're all in the context of needing to be saved in some sense. Right. Their servants are helpless. No. That's right. And no. then there's kind of mixed throughout, there's these servant songs, these these uh, poems about a servant that speaks of someone clearly greater. Right. So Israel fails in their role as God's servant, so someone needs to come who can be the perfect servant. So we see him first in chapter 42, verse 1. Sorry, I know we're skipping all over the place. This is why this is a little confusing because it's kind of, it goes through a lot of different topics in these sections. Chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation, nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Mm-hmm. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Yeah. So this is a powerful, strong figure who could oppress but doesn't mm-hmm. and who brings justice into the world. Right. Is there, I mean, is there any way that that could be Israel, given what we've seen about Israel? No, of course not. So there's somebody who has God's spirit who brings justice and peace and righteousness to the nations. So that's the first time we see him. We see him again. We won't go through every single one here, but we see him again in 49, chapter 49, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. Well, now it's explicitly so, talking about the difference between Israel and the servant. Exactly. Yeah. So in order for him to redeem Israel, he can't be Israel. Right. And we're going to see that clearly later because he's paying for the price of right. the sins of the people. Right. And he says, God says, right, it is, is it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you're not just going to be a my servant to rescue Israel and Jacob. You're going to save the entire world. Right. So Israel couldn't save themselves. This figure <laughs> is going to save everyone, including Israel. Right. And then, of course, the, the, the most important servant song starts in Isaiah 52, at the, very, at the very end of Isaiah 52, and goes into 53. And this is... Uh, it's, again, you can't overstate the importance of this this passage. It influences everything in the New Testament. Mm. It is central to the gospel. Right. So Isaiah 52, verse 13, <clears throat> Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. High and lifted up. Does that sound familiar? It's maybe a little early we read something like that. I don't know. You know. It's your time to shine, Keith. This is your time. This is my time. Oh. What is that? What is that from? When did we hear that phrase? Oh, let's see here. I actually don't remember the chapter. I'm sure I'll find it here. Isaiah chapter. I'm going to say it. If, if you're, say you're so it. close. Say it. I know. I'm Isaiah sure. chapter 6. Uh, that's where it was. Isaiah chapter 6, right? When he has a vision of God and he sees the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted Amen. up. So God is high and lifted up and... And he only he exclusively has glory, right. right? And now there's a servant that's also high and lifted up, right? So this is very strange. So this servant is God, at least in some sense. It has to be God, right? So so he's high and lifted up, and we see that he's 
rejected and ashamed in chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, as when as one from whom men hide their faces. Mm-hmm. So he's he's despised, he's rejected. More than that, though, he suffers on behalf of his people. Right. Chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm. So he suffers, and he's suffering for their sins, right? Our transgressions, our iniquity, to bring us peace, to give us healing. Right. And then it says explicitly that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So in this suffering, he is taking the sin, the iniquity, or iniquity just means sin, he's taking the sin of God's people on him. And it goes beyond that to say that he not only suffers to bear those sins, but he also dies right. to, to, to take care of those sins forever. So he goes on, right? He's led like a slam to the slam, a lamb to the slaughter, right? By oppression and judgment, he's taken away. Verse nine, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. So he dies and he's buried with a rich man. Right. And he takes the sin of the of of God's people in that moment. I mean, and there's also you know the uh, the declaration that there's no deceit in his mouth. There's no sin, you know. Yeah. He has done no violence. The no deceit was in his mouth. He's a perfect sinless sacrifice, right? And the, right. the wording here is very much Old Testament sacrifice language, right. very mm-hmm. much. And this is, I mean, this is unique. There's no text that talks about a human being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. The closest we get to would be, um, you know, Genesis 22, where Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac. Right. But th- I mean, this is unique that there's a a, a person who is sacrificed. And it's speaking of him in the same way it spoke of the Old Testament sacrifice as bearing iniquities, right. as taking sins. Um, so this is this is incredibly important, right? And this is God's plan. Verse ten: It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Uh, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for his guilt, for guilt. Sorry, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. So we have the offspring offspring idea brought in from Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, that's an important one. And that, it, wait, it's talking about he's going to be pr- prospering after he dies. Right. So he, there's life again. <laughs> there's, there's, he's, he's alive again mm-hmm. somehow. And it says, out of the, the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is the language of what we call penal substitutionary atonement. Hmm. This is legal language, right? That there's a penalty for sin that is taken by this person. So he takes their sin, he bears their iniquities, but more than that, he imputes righteousness to them. He justifies them. This is the New Testament language. Right. He he gives a righteous record to those who were sinful. Mm-hmm. This is so important, right? yeah. and, and and of course, there's so many ways this lines up with the with Christ, as we'll see later. I mean, we can't can't ignore that. That's clearly you know Christ that he's bearing their iniquity, and then it says at the end, right, verse twelve, he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Yeah, it's so beautiful how it's connecting 
you know, the the suffering servant to the power of God. Like, there's clearly only one person that can forgive sins like this. Yeah. It's God himself, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's, it's so crazy that, you know, you know how, how long was this before Jesus, right? Yeah, 600 plus, Six to 800 yeah. years, something like that. And to have the revelation of Jesus Christ come in the flesh and yeah. die on the cross and have the things that were said about him said and have him resurrected, that's crazy. Well, for a long time, there's there's scholars that said, well, this clearly was just written after Jesus died, right? It was inserted back in. It can't be true. Yeah. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls came along. Right. And they had a copy of Isaiah from a, a century before Jesus. Right. And that's obviously the Jewish people were probably like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? We didn't put this in. I mean, this is our scripture too. But so that's another thing. But like, yeah, ignore those, ignore those Jews over there. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, this is this is incredible, incredible language, and it's it's just the seed from which so much of theology grows in the life of Christ as well, right? So, um, yeah, this is an unbelievable, unbelievable passage. So that Christ. Uh, dies for us. He he bears our sins. He gives to us his righteousness. So the servant of the Lord is first a picture of Israel, mm-hmm. and the fact that they failed in that task of being God's servant. And then second, and most importantly, it's a picture of the Messiah to come who will fulfill the purpose of Israel. Right. Who will take up the mantle that they let fall, right, and will carry on their purpose and will fulfill it perfectly. Yeah. So we'll look at that a little bit more at the end as well. Awesome. Well, I guess we're there. We're at the end. Sorry. We're done. We've, we've done. So, so in light of that, I mean, Jesus Christ, in what he does, we've seen this many times, but in what he's doing in his ministry is constantly pointing back to Israel and placing himself as the fulfillment of Israel. Right. And that's one of the huge themes of the Gospels themselves is the establishment of the, the, the Old Testament Messiah, right? That's right. That's why you can't read the New Testament and not know the Old Testament because the New Testament doesn't make sense without... This whole story, yeah, you're missing out on so much, yeah. right? You won't see the significance. You'll say, oh, "Okay, that's nice that it's nice that John the Baptist came to speak for Jesus in Matthew <laughs> chapter three. Yeah, that sounds nice. He prepared a like, way. Yeah, yeah, no, this is this is the it's he quotes from Isaiah, right? Yeah. In, Math, in Matthew three, mm-hmm. he's quoting from Isaiah, saying, "This is the one that was spoken of by the prophet." Right. So God is sending these signs in a certain order to fulfill His prophecies to show that. What he said in Isaiah is true, that God is powerful. He planned it all out from the beginning. Yeah. He's completely sovereign, and also he is gracious. Mm-hmm. And he is working in world history to bring his glory to fill the entire earth. Yeah. That's what it's reminding us. It's reminding us of the whole weight of Isaiah. Right. Because John the Baptist is coming with that prophecy. We see, I mean, we could talk about, honestly, you could probably list the books of the, of the New Testament through a dart, and there's at least a 50% chance that you're hitting a, a prophecy from Isaiah 53. Right. Um, because it's, I, I was looking at a list on the other day. I was like, it is, it is most of the books of the New Testament mm-hmm. that include something from this specific chapter. Crazy. So um, a few things we could look at, right? Isaiah 53, verse 1. Let me turn here. Is, in, is referenced in John 12. John 12, let me see here. John 12, 38. Um, so we see uh, the Isaiah fifty three one is is quoted right. So the word of the, the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So Jesus's work is a is a the arm of the Lord working mm-hmm. right, and that everyone rejects it as he's been saying throughout his entire ministry. We also see this in the book of Acts, chapter eight. 
I'm not as, I'm not as quick on the draw this morning as I, I normally am. Um, but we see that Philip approaches a, a well, Philip is, is brought by God's sovereignty and his, his plan to an Ethiopian eunuch mm-hmm. who's yeah. riding along in his chariot and he just happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. <laughs> what a coincidence, right? And he says, hmm, I wonder if anyone could tell me what this means, right? <laughs> Quite loudly. And Philip says, um, yes, I can I can help you. Right? This is how we we all hope every encounter, uh, yes. you know, evangelistic goes, uh, yeah, conversation, not yeah. so much. And he explains to him, right, Jesus is suffering. And so the Bible is so clear that this, this is about Jesus, right? And so Philip tells him the gospel, and he says, hey, there's some water. Let's baptize me right now, and he baptizes him. That's awesome. It, it, it's like it's so cool that um, you know. There's just it's the gospel is right here in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. This is the hope of mankind and where the hope of all people rests. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yep, exactly. And then the healing ministry of Jesus points to Isaiah 53 as well, according to Matthew chapter eight. Mm-hmm. Right, that when he's healing all of them, this was to fulfill Matthew eight seventeen. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Mm. So Jesus Christ has the power to heal, to overcome sickness, and that's shown throughout his entire ministry. Yep. And, of course, ultimately in his uh, death on the cross where he pays the ultimate price for sin. Right. So we see this in First Peter 2 as well. Again, we could do this all day. Where's Where's First Peter? Why can yeah. I not find Mister? I Peter? think that's why they call Isaiah the fifth gospel because there's just so much gospel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's deserving of that. So First Peter yeah. two twenty two. Well, really, we could do this whole section, right? Um, that Christ, verse twenty two, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Mm. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins hmm. and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Hmm. Some some clear Isaiah language yeah. in that passage as well. So Jesus is the, the remnant of God's people, right? He's the remnant of one. He's the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to do. He, in his ministry, he takes 12 disciples, right? He speaks of himself as a shepherd as the vine, as all these images that relate him to the history of Israel. Right. He, he walks through similar steps of the Exodus, as we've seen before. Um, Jesus is constantly pointing to Israel failed in their mission, and I'm going to fulfill it on their behalf to rescue them, and not just them, but the entire world. Right. That's the gospel. It's amazing. Amazing. I think we hit it all. I think we did. I'm just soaking it in. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, I hope that encourages you guys to 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 love the Old Testament and the grace that's found in it. Heck, this week memorize Isaiah fifty three. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna enrich it's your life, sure. and you will see so much of this Old Testament text in the New Testament as we look to the graciousness of God and the hope in Jesus Christ. So, thanks for joining us for uh, daily gospel, and uh, we'll see you next week for the rest of Isaiah. <laughs>